0: Hi, and welcome to the Workplace Podcast with me, your host, Rowan Hammond. The Workplace Podcast explores all angles of today's workplace and the role it plays for organizations with world-class experts in their field. Today, I was joined by Dr. Christina Candido, Associate Professor and Director of the Sustainable and Healthy Environments Lab at the University of Melbourne. Dr. Candido and I have enjoyed and shared a common sense of purpose for improving workplace environments for many years now. And catching up to hear her latest research was a pure joy. Hear from Dr. Candido on the number one reason why people don't want to go back to the office post pandemic and her thoughts and influence of the AI elements that we see today in play, like ChatGPT. Ever informative with a nod of what to expect to see in the future of human centered workplaces. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Workplace Podcast. Dr. Christina Candido, welcome to the Workplace Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for having me.
0: Pleasure. Now, we've known each other for a little while now, moving and advancing the workplace sector and industry forward, of course, with lots of others. But can you tell us a little bit about where you are now and perhaps how you got there and a little bit Mm -hmm. of history?
1: Sure. Chris Candido here, I'm an Associate Professor with the University of Melbourne, where I direct the Sustainable and Healthy Environments Lab. My research is all about the design, performance, and experience of spaces. I'm interested to understand what makes people tick, which keeps us very motivated and in doing that really trying to improve how spaces are designed for that to be achieved. Well you asked me to say something about me people don't know. I never wanted to be an academic so that is a funny thing. A couple of decades in yes now I'm I'm very happy about what I do and very excited about it. Melbourne University came as a really nice surprise about two years ago that's when I joined and I was asked to established a lab here and basically trying to build critical mass about the built environment. I'm very excited about that. Mm
0: -hmm. And how's it going?
1: I think fantastic. We went from being just me to about 20 people working on similar topics in less (laughs) than two years in the middle of a pandemic. So I would say we're doing pretty well.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. And that is, of course, something that we don't know about you. But tell us a little bit about your backstory. Mm. You are, of course, Brazilian. How did you get to Australia? How did you get into tertiary education? How did you get into workplace?
1: Well, it's been a journey. Let's just put it like that. Yes, I'm a trained architect. I did architecture and urban planning in Brazil. And then I was really curious about the design of educational buildings. And that's what got me hooked into academic environment. I got scholarships from the Brazilian government to do um, CFD simulation. So that's how the whole thing (laughs) basically started. An architect trying to do computer fluid dynamics um, simulation. That's that's as ambitious as you can get, <laughs> and that tells you tells you a little bit about me. Then I did my masters in architecture, was in Brazil, and then I was basically fed up with the whole simulation sort of world. I had a couple of years under my belt, and I was really interested in looking at what people say about spaces, and that's how it started. I did my PhD in engineering environmental science, so I'm a doctor square. Mm. which is really yeah. exciting. Twice over. <laughs>
0: wow. Good for you. But
1: again, two completely different fields mm. of research and environments. And then halfway through my PhD, I got a scholarship to come to Australia to do my work here and the, the rest is history. It's been 14 years that I'm here. And bit by bit, we started progressing through and getting an academic, securing an academic um, position and really shifting attention towards workplaces, which is something that's it's been only 10 years. And again, but always with that emphasis on user experience, which is what motivates me the most. Mm. Yeah,
0: And of course, we met through the Sydney University study of WT Partnerships uh, headquarters. Um, perhaps, and that was somewhat of a landmark sort of project. Perhaps you could describe to people sort of what you were looking for at that period of time
1: the edge to that idea was to really get to the value of well-designed spaces which i think that's really something that when you look at the academic research there is a huge gap on the topic people talk about Mm. open plan offices for example as if it's just an umbrella term that you know it doesn't matter if it's a well-designed space or not And then you see all these acoustic related sort of papers that come out and make the headlines. But there is very little around how do we shift the needle? How do we solve the problem? If it is badly designed, then what is it that we can do that will make sure people are happy with that space? And that's how we met. It was really interesting to be able to explore that side of things as an overarching theme of the project, but even more so to trying to understand different ways of assessing perceived productivity in spaces, in activity-based working workspaces um, in particular. So. It was one of my favorite projects really of all time.
0: <laughs> well that's <laughs> that good. One,
1: to hear. That one that we did. Uh, but I think what was quite interesting about that particular project as I said many times to you before it was it pointed the seed and it really has grown to a point where it became a full research program after that. Mm. And that wouldn't really happen without our partnership and WTE's partnership. So that was quite
0: mm. fantastic
1: mm. that happened that way.
0: And of course your research really opened my eyes just to the broadness of it but also what you were focusing on what was it that you were looking to find
1: what we found from my perspective wasn't that surprising but I think how industry embraced that was quite surprising so I think there was a lot of um, I think need need for research work documenting the value of interior design and in well-designed workspaces and how will you design a space to support the way people want to work? So these were the three key takeaways from the project was saying, "Mm, interior design matters. Second, it has to be properly done. And third, it has to really match and support the infrastructure that is needed for people to work. Um, It got a fair bit of traction around how people were satisfied in an activity-based workplace, which was super hot back then before COVID. Um, And, some people just really couldn't believe how a space could be designed in a way that would lend itself in such high levels of perceived productivity in health, but being a non-territorial space where people didn't have a desk assigned to their name. So there were a fair bit of surprises, but at the end of the day, really, that's what I wanted to prove <laughs> back then, and I'm happy that that's what we managed to do with the evidence, and it was quite interesting. At that point in time, was quite the thing,
0: I think. Mm, quite revolutionary.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think being a doctored squared, that gives you a unique perspective that perhaps most of us don't have. But also at the time, you were part of Bossa with the lab. Mm, yeah. So tell us a little bit about how that was all coming together.
1: That was fantastic because Bossa, which is, was really post occupancy evaluation survey, there was a value that was developed in, in collaboration with industry. Just It was a magic trick that we had under our sleeve to have access to spaces and people. Wow. So by the time the survey became um, endorsed for certification on the Greenstein Neighbors it really changed the way that I could do my work because had I been convinced people to give me access to spaces and people, they would come to us and say, we want to use this survey. So that collaboration between University of Sydney and UTS was very successful in the sense that in a space of five years, we managed to build a database that had about 16,000 survey responses and, you know, hundreds of of workspaces. workspaces. And, of course, with that, you can see things like as a timeline. So what was that was the issue from the user's perspective back in, you know, 2000, whatever. And then 10 years later, how it looks like? Has it changed? Is acoustic still the Achilles heel of Open Plan Office? Very much so. And you could also try to compare Spaces, So you could really see what, what were the spaces that were outperforming the benchmark, what at the top end of town in terms of users' perception, and you could go a step further, which is what we did with WT, was to compare before and after, which became a really interesting exercise as well because if you compare that and you have the contextual information, and I think that is really perhaps the innovation of my work through post occupancy evaluation is I'm not only interested in what people are saying, but where they're working from. And by spending time in this space, I worked from the W T headquarters a few times, mm-hmm. <laughs> having the experience in situ, analyzing floor plans and doing a whole bunch of measurements, you can actually say, this is not just any open plan office. It has these differences and that's why people are so happy about it. So that context... And providing the context for the post occupancy evaluation result, I think is, is really unique and is something that, coming from an academic perspective, is really missing. People don't do that. It takes time, but it's worth it. Yeah.
0: And you talked about surveying many people, many workplaces. But the top performers, what were the key characteristics that the top performers have?
1: Yeah, writing a book about that now or (laughs) harder, editing a book about high performance workplaces. So the end of the day, what you see is interior design leads the way. So you have good design. A space supports the way people work. These are two must-haves. You can't never achieve high-performance without those two. People tend to gravitate towards the space that better support them at that time, and that's regardless of desk ownership. Desk ownership is a different story altogether. Regardless of that, you have to be able to move around. That's important. Um, Of course, biophilic design, user-centered design, active design principles, they tend to drive perceived productivity and health scores in these spaces. So we came up with a bit of a must-have checklist that really, really showed that all these spaces shared in their design. And that was quite interesting.
0: You obviously talked about Bossa being your little magic tool or magic trick to kind of get into workplaces. But without that, how do you do that now?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I left SIG University and with that I decided to close the door and there was nothing wrong with that. I just felt that balsa is a tool that is very indoor environmental quality centered and that's great there is a great value and you can leverage a lot of work from that but i wanted to do something else and that's how the she post evaluation survey came about so it is about trying to yes focus on the space but also to try to tap into some of the organization aspects way of working where people work from they work and place and body sort of fit and how we see that actually driving scores around satisfaction and perceived productivity. And again, it's one of those those things that you're thinking about for a while and sitting on it. But then IWBI at the time was changing the rules around surveys. And I didn't know when I started, but again, it's just it was good timing. And I developed the survey in close collabor- collaboration with them, and we were one of the first survey providers to actually embrace the new Well V2. Mm-hmm. And since then, I have about 280, I think, offices that we use the survey on, but in five continents, which has been a really interesting kind of step. Even despite COVID, there was a lot of uptake, and of course, there is a lot of interest in Well. and. More than ever before, and I think that comes on the back of COVID and people realizing that we have to have healthy indoor environments for us to occupy, and I think that's really pushing the uptake of this survey overseas. Mm. So that is an interesting edge that there wasn't there; it wasn't there before.
0: And you mentioned you, it is overseas, but are you seeing key differences between locations?
1: Yes. So what are we seeing? And we're starting to see emerge. I think. I always thought of the Australian market as people that have very high expectations about their office fit-out. <laughs> and I think we're starting to map that as well in terms of satisfactions. I think for workspaces to perform well from the workers' perspective in Australia, you actually really need to bring some elements that in other countries are not necessarily expected mm. to be there. So I think people can get away with a lot more in some of the countries that we investigated up to this point and here in Australia. So, yeah, expectations are very high.
0: And of course, we've had COVID over the last few years and we've seen uh, workplaces somewhat turned upside down and what a great period to be in the industry to really make sense of it all. But, but what have you seen and, and, and are you, what are you seeing in your surveys sort of post-pandemic or even through the pandemic?
1: Being able to capture, if it was one survey on one interview would be already powerful enough, but the lab has been very active and I just have to thank my team to just say, let's just do it, Chris, that's it, we have to have the survey. So we developed a much smaller version of the survey, which is the SHE COVID survey, and that's been trying to capture workers' experience since the pandemic started. So now we have Basically, a timeline of events in Australia is quite special because you have, it's almost as if we're really living through a controlled experiment. Mm. And because of the lockdowns and elsewhere, you wouldn't really find that. And in doing that, we've been mapping what was happening during lockdowns, post lockdown, and now under the living with COVID scenario. It's pretty consistent. Workers don't want to commute in Australia and that is the number one reason not to go to any office HQ. And it doesn't matter how much beer you offer or book clubs on free gym memberships. That's not going to change, I don't think. It's been there since lockdown. But the other things that people place value change so we've seen progressively the need to interact with others being picked up by the survey I don't think that comes as a surprise to any of us we are coming to the office to do this to interact with each other to you know our in-office days are about seeing each other talking and having social activities they're all work related and it's about building relationships really and I don't think that's going to change Um, anymore. I'm a little bit disappointed with the industry in the sense that I would expect by now the conversation become more about how we do this well, rather than let's go back to the dark ages of nine to five, fully in office, which is still there. And I think this friction between in office and elsewhere would have dissipated by now, but it's still very much out there. And I just think that that doesn't make sense at all.
0: Yeah, and of course, we see that with our clients. There's certain hesitation that they have to sort of launch into things, especially around periods of uncertainty. But is there any sort of advice you can give clients or people that are looking to take that first step but really unsure about how to do so?
1: You know what they want, what they do. It, it seems funny to be saying this, but really I think it goes back to Very much like good design practice, good management practice. Know what you want from people and what they're supposed to be doing, achieving, but also how they want to work. I think people kind of overlooking that and they're just trying to go back to what is easy for them, not what people actually want to do. And it's quite difficult now to just say, no, you can't work from elsewhere if you are someone who is a knowledge worker that is laptop bound. And after everything that we learned indeed over the last three years, then what is the point? Mm. You can't force them back. And it was already there. I remember doing a presentation 2014, 2015. I think we ended the presentation, you, you actually But they even say, look at what the millennial workforce wants and what they wanted was not to be desk-bound. They didn't want to have a nine-to-five. They certainly didn't have to work at a specific point in time, and that was seven years ago before COVID. Mm. So if managers were not picking up on that before, then they definitely in for a rude (laughs) way now.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes it does take a perfect storm just to bring that catalyst for change, but... In terms of your next steps, what's next for Christina Candidio and and your research?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about things like, you know, how you can, we go on and on and on about how workspaces can, these magic things about attracting people, retaining people there and people not leaving and particularly interested in looking at those offices that somehow managed to attract people back and have no you know documented issues around occupancy so i'm particularly curious about what is it about those in offices sort of experiences that have that pull you know that attract people back and, and they can't go about without having that and then of course how these offices can be repurposed you know in the long term we were experimenting with that before. It's like, how can you actually build a fit out that is flexible enough to shrink and expand? And that was before COVID, but now everyone is just like, how we do this? <laughs> how can you actually build and think about an office that will be able to accommodate this ever fluctuation of people being there and how they use this space? I find that quite Exciting, yes. And, of course, the t- types of data set that you can have access these days. So, you know, looking at like what people are saying at Glassdoor, for example. So we're doing analysis around how, what are the types of comments that people make around workspace design that are coming Glassdoor. So you tap into that ability to attract people and keep them mm-hmm. by looking at alternative data sets that you wouldn't before And then, of course, having a look at just yesterday's scoop and how they're consolidating all the flexible working policies for a whole bunch of businesses in the U.S. And I look at that and I'm just like, they're already making a business out of this. (laughs) And if you want to keep being an employee of choice, flexibility, you know, that's, it was already there, but there no way to fight it. So I'm also interested in, in those types of things and how, will be able to possibly rank that particular organization's flexibility and if it is real flexibility or just saying, oh, yeah, you can have your leave or something else. That's not really different ways of working at all. Um, so, yeah, I think these are the three things particularly interested at the moment in this workplace sort of realm.
0: And we were talking a little bit before we came on air uh, around ChatGPT and you had some great thoughts around that. So tell us a little bit about those thoughts
1: oh gosh i think it's um it's for acad- within academia it it's uh, we have a work cut out for us i think it's um it'll be really interesting how we change the ways that we assess students um when we assess them and what will be the way of assessing them so i think it just from that perspective, I'm not particularly concerned in the sense that I, I really do think we can do better in terms of assessment. and And I think Chat GPT just gives us nudge to do that. But I'm also finding particularly challenging thinking the way that we report research, because if you have artificial intelligence that can actually write your paper, then you ever will, what is the point of writing those academic papers that we still have to? And they are part of our KPIs. So I think it will, I think, challenge um, academic KPIs around publication as well. And I think if you are doing already research, applied research, and you have a strong engagement, perhaps... The way that you're sharing the work with industry and with the profession and communities, it becomes more of the emphasis Mm. rather than just being academic work written in paper, which is something that was already changing. So, yeah, challenging times. I think all of us knowledge workers will have to figure out what is our edge Mm. and I think makes for quite interesting conversations.
0: Fascinating. But obviously, the workplace sector touches quite a lot of different industries or, or parts of the environment. So, which ones sort of take your fancy and, and why to work with?
1: Uh, I've been collaborating with public health for years now. Engineering is always fun, especially when I get to boss them around a little bit. I do see a lot more of what I do be more and more and it's already happening through projects, business of course, and really being able to calculate, put numbers on things. So what is the value? What is the return investment of good workspace design, which is really everybody's mind, but then how do you do that? And I won't be able to calculate myself. So it needs to be through collaboration, of course, and and that is definitely, I think those three faculties are the ones that I'm working with and have been for a while now. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And Christina, I always love talking to you, but one question that I really enjoy sort of putting to you each time we sort of catch up is, is there one piece of information or data subset that's just really surprised you? Something that, you know, you've really kind of looked back upon and go, oh, I just wouldn't have guessed that.
1: In terms of like work?
0: Yeah, in terms of your work.
1: I was, I've been quite confronted or challenged many times, but I always find that seeding through presentations that are led by industry quite like it's a moment when there are pin drop moments with that 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 comes with that which is it's interesting but it also highlights how far ahead sometimes we are with our crazy academic ideas so it's like we specializing in a topic and then industry picks it up on that but that is like 10 years later and suddenly you become the expert yes. so i'm always fascinated by and has have always been on this mismatch of the pace and how we do things in industry in academia and really, there is no impediment to change that and can only happen through partnerships. And that's why I'm so motivated to always be there, seeing people, talking to people, interacting with people. But I think this is a really through my career as an academic, that bit has always that sort of distance between us has always been something that I found confronting. And that is through different ways. It's like the way we think, the way that we speak. Of course, we speak completely different languages. The way we evaluate, the way that we promote the work is quite different. And I think there is a lot of value if you try to bring those two together.
0: Mm. I've always been very impressed about how you do that because I think you've done it with great success uh, and it shows through in the work that you're doing. So well done. Christina, it's been great talking to you today. You're one of my favorite people to talk to and I love catching up with you. But have you got a great piece of advice you could leave us with?
1: Uh, I always say this one is, is pay it forward. It, it doesn't matter how, but always pay it forward. It's definitely something I try to do it and I like to be around people that also live by that.
0: Well, Christina, it's a great note to end on. Thank you so much for your time and joining us on the Workplace Podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to catch up and talk about this.